Luke chapter 7, we'll be reading verses 1 to 10. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, that's referring to the message of chapter 6, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we can call upon you in our hour of need, and we know that you hear and that you answer prayer. In this moment, Father, we pray that you would pour out upon us, according to your grace in Jesus, your Holy Spirit, that we might hear with faith and believe, Father, all of your promises. Be assured that you are working in our hearts, that you do have our best interest at heart, that you will complete your work in us. I pray, Father, that we would believe that you are near, that you never leave us, that you never forsake us. I pray, Father, for those who might be struggling to believe your promises today, for whatever reason. Perhaps, Father, it's conditions at work. Perhaps, Father, it's uh, their own health condition. Perhaps, Father, it's another matter. And, and ongoing insecurity, uncertainty in their lives, perhaps, Father, even a depression. I pray, Father, that you would, according to your grace, give us faith. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen us. I pray, Father, that our response to your word would bring you honor and glory. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit for the preaching of your word. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been studying Luke for some time now. Uh, I know that not all of you have been with us throughout the the length of this series. There's a number of you. But uh, we've been going through uh, Luke for quite a while, and we've been studying these, these different accounts in this narrative of the astonishing authority of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have seen miracle after miracle now, and it's only going to continue for some time. But I want to ask you, um, even if you haven't been here for the duration of this series, when you study the word of God, 
For those of you who have been here, as you have heard report after report of what Jesus accomplishes by the authority of his word, the more you hear, does your faith increase? Does your faith grow? The more that you hear of what Jesus has done, the more you hear about the authority of his word. Does your faith grow the more that you hear? On Friday, ISIS committed its latest atrocity. This particular act of terrorism, striking closer to home than really any, any previous act, because they've been even farther removed from our context. But this one strikes a little closer to home, doesn't it? In the day of the 24-hour news cycle, it's sad to say, but it's true, that it won't be long before Donald Trump is the headline again. It might sound strange because this, this latest large-scale tragedy is, is you know, fresh in our hearing, but it won't be long before this is old news. It's true. Now, we do have to move on. We don't want to let yesterday control us. But I think what happens in the, the day of the 24-hour news cycle is we move on not because, you know, a danger has been averted, but we move on because it's the present that consumes us. It's the moment and it's the very latest word that consumes us. Either we have no fear today because today has been quiet, or we do have fear today because today there has been bloodshed. This is the way that we are. The latest thing controls us. But what is it that must control us? What should govern our feelings, our emotions? What should persuade our hopes and persuade our fears? Not the latest word but the timeless word, the eternal word of God is what should persuade our hopes and our fears. And so you must not allow the the latest report, the latest word to govern your feelings and to control your, your outlook and what you believe. And I'm not just talking about the latest news report, the latest word out of Washington or Paris or what have you, but the latest report out of the doctor's office or the latest word, uh, the latest news that's come out of your own maybe struggling household. It's not the latest word that should govern our lives, but the timeless word of God. And the more that we hear from the word of God, the more our faith should rise. It's been good for us to spend this length of time in, in Luke's narrative and let these reports of what Jesus says and does mount in our hearing. We're we're having the evidence stack up in favor of Christ, proving his worth to be worshipped, proving the authority of his word. It is good for us to spend this time in his word. And so we need to give the word our attention now. May our faith increase as we do. You know, one day ISIS will be, for good cause, yesterday's news. They will just be one more cruel regime that crumbles. They will be just one part of a drop in the bucket. 
But as long as this life lasts, what we read in Luke 7, 1 to 10 will not be yesterday's news. And there's two reasons for that that I'll submit to you. One, because this is the Word of God. The eternal Word of God. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The second reason is because the primary actor in this account is still living. He is still alive. Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, the Herodian dynasty, Pilate, they're all gone. They'll never move and breathe, have been on this earth again. Genghis Khan, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, possibly even the man that they have been calling Jihadi John, and the terrorists of Friday's events, they're all gone. They will never live and move and have been on this earth again. But the man of this narrative still lives, still speaks, and he still reigns. This is the eternal word of God. What he says here still stands. What he did here, he still does. And so we must give this word our full attention, and we must give the God of this word our devotion. And as we study his word today, may our faith increase. I pray that your faith will increase. The first verse, it says that after Jesus had finished the sayings of chapter 6, he returned to Capernaum where earlier he had established the base of his ministry. Let's take up the reading of verse 2. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. And he is the one who built us our synagogue. Now, what was a centurion? A centurion was an officer, you can hear it in the word itself, who was over a company of 100 soldiers. Typically, they were men of means who earned their positions by their means and by their their different accomplishments. Now, this particular Roman officer loved the Jewish nation, and he loved the Jewish people. And by his own personal wealth, he had funded the building of the synagogue. In fact, just an interesting tidbit of information for you, the, the white limestone ruins of the synagogue that was built in Capernaum in the 4th century still stand today. And they, those ruins... Um, are built on top of um, the the black uh, basalt stone that uh, that's the foundation that was actually laid that was laid in Jesus' day, and it's still that foundation from the first century is still visible on ground level today. So this centurion is the man who who funded the building of that. He was a noble man. He was a man of means, of authority, and power. By that authority, he was able to accomplish much for the Romans, for the Jews, 
but he did not have the authority. He did not have the power to make any difference whatsoever in the case of his servant who was nearing death. That, that condition was outside the realm of his authority. And then there was this too, another obstacle for him. He was a Gentile. He was a Roman. He was far from Christ, the only one that he knew could help him. Now, it says that he sends the Jewish elders to Jesus when he heard about him. I don't believe in verse 3 when it says when he heard about Jesus, it's speaking about the first hearing uh, of Jesus for this centurion. It's not the first time he heard about him. I think that rather it's saying when he heard that Jesus had returned to Capernaum. Jesus himself had been a resident in Capernaum for some time. Again, he had, he had moved there from Nazareth where he had been rejected to establish the base of his ministry. You remember what his hometown, Nazareth, had done to him when he announced that they would reject him. That's exactly what they, they did. They led him to the, the, the edge of the cliff outside of town and they were going to throw him off. So Jesus went from Nazareth to Capernaum, established the base of uh, his ministry there, and God used him in an incredible way there. We saw that in chapter 4. Uh, do you remember there was um, a demon-possessed man in the synagogue uh, on the Sabbath? And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it fled. And then from the synagogue, Jesus went with Peter to Peter's home, where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, rebuked the fever, and the fever fled. And that night after sundown, just a host of people came to the house where Jesus was, and all night long, Jesus was healing. He told the people of Capernaum that he had to leave. He had to go into the other villages and towns to preach the good news of the kingdom. So for some time, Jesus has been gone. But this centurion knows all about him. He was well aware of what had occurred that that incredible night, and the reports of what Jesus has been doing, how Jesus' word has been working wonders all over Galilee, these reports keep coming back to this centurion. Remember the cases? There was the case of leprosy. There was the man who was a paralytic who had been lowered through the roof to Jesus. There was the the man who had the, the withered hand that Jesus had healed on a Sabbath day. There were hundreds of cases, all demonstrating both the incredible, immeasurable authority of Jesus and the compassion of Christ. The likes of which neither one had ever been known before. Not the authority and not the compassion. And yet, in this predicament, the centurion has on his mind that he is a Gentile and Jesus is a Jew. Jesus is a Jewish Savior. Why in the world would he help a, a Gentile officer of the occupying enemy? So the centurion knows that he is far from Christ. He knows that he is unworthy. And so, hoping against hope, he calls the Jewish elders of Capernaum and sends them to Jesus to appeal, make an appeal on his behalf. Quick question here. Do you feel far from Christ? Do you feel far from Jesus? Do you feel unworthy of Christ in and of yourself? 
naturally speaking. We talked about this some in our Sunday school class this morning, how we often feel that we don't have the ability to be used in God's service. And we certainly don't have the morality to be used in his service. I think the feelings of unworth are in all of our hearts, at least as long as we do not, don't have that, that self-righteousness that can also plague us. But this centurion feels very far from Jesus. And Luke fills his narrative with these kinds of people. Because this is the kind of person that Jesus helps. The kind who is far from him. That's the person that Jesus helps. And so the elders come to Jesus and it says they plead earnestly. Jesus, we all owe this man a debt of gratitude. He is the one who built our house of worship. Jesus, even you owe him. He is worthy of your help. And so the text says that Jesus goes with them. Now, in the meantime, the centurion, somewhere along the way, he's had second thoughts. He knows, he knows he's not worthy. And that's why he has sent these elders in his place to make the appeal on his behalf. Because he doesn't believe that he is worthy to draw near to Jesus himself. So Jesus is coming to him. But wait a second, what is the difference between drawing near to Jesus and Jesus drawing near to you? The man is not worthy of either one of them. And so he sends friends to Jesus. Because he does know one thing. While he is not worthy to draw near to Jesus, and he is not worthy for Jesus to draw near to him, Yet Jesus remains worthy of his trust. Because what is outside the realm of Christ's authority? And who is outside of Christ's compassion? And so he sends friends to Jesus with this message. Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Verse 7. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. See, he has heard of Christ. He has heard the reports of Jesus, both from within Capernaum, the incredible miracles that he had worked there over that night, and then the reports of hundreds of cases of how Jesus had accomplished by his word the wonders of God. He has heard these things. Now he has this case. His servant is near to death. The evidence in front of him says that his servant is going to die. I'm assuming that the local physician has also been there and confirmed that and said, your servant is beyond all help. But he is not going to believe the latest word. He is not going to believe the last signs that he has seen in front of him. He is going to believe the word that he has heard about Jesus. He says to him, just say so, and it will be. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. It's interesting in verse 8 that he then goes on to explain the rationale for his faith in Jesus. He says, for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this. 
And he does it. So the elders have pleaded to Jesus, Lord, he is worthy that you do this for him. And now the centurion comes back and he says, Lord, I am not worthy for you to do this. But just say the word. That's all that my servant needs, is that you say the word. So here's his logic. He has made a connection between his own authority as a Roman centurion and the authority of Jesus. As a Roman centurion, he is a man under authority. He gets orders and he follows them. Someone commands him and he does what he is told. He also has many under his authority. The the 100 soldiers that would have made up his company are under his command. And then he also has these personal servants. And he tells them, do this. And and they do it. So he just says stuff. And it happens. He gives the word. And it's accomplished. And so he is making a, a logical connection between his own experience, the authority of his word, and Jesus and the authority of his word. All who are under the realm of his authority follow through with what he says. And all that he has heard about Jesus says the same thing. That everything that is under the realm of Jesus' authority follows through with what Jesus says. Jesus says, and stuff happens. And so, he has realized that this condition which will be fatal without intervention, is under the authority of Christ. Everything, he realizes, is under the authority of this man, Jesus, including his servant and his well-being. Something else, too, about this faith. And this is the thing that causes Jesus, the text says, to marvel. He realizes that Jesus simply says. So Jesus doesn't need to be there. He doesn't even need to know the exact location in the centurion's thinking. He doesn't need to be in the vicinity. He doesn't need to be under the roof. He doesn't need to see the servant. He doesn't need to examine him. He doesn't even need to know his condition. And he doesn't even need to touch him. Simply say the word. You see, there is, he has realized that there is no space between Jesus and the need that his word cannot cover. There is no space between Jesus and the need that his word cannot cover. Who is this man that the centurion trusts? He is the one who speaks and worlds are. He is the one who speaks and what doesn't exist obeys and comes into being. He is the one who speaks and empires rise. He is the one who speaks the word of judgment and empires fall. Empires empty and dissolve. This is Jesus. He is the one by whom and for whom all things were made. At his word and for his praise. All things are. He speaks and demons fly. He speaks 
and diseases go, He speaks a word. The word of forgiveness and damnation itself is gone. That's the man that the centurion trusts. When Jesus heard these things, verse 9, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. I don't know what, perhaps I don't know, what has been stressing you of late, what trouble, what burdens you've been carrying. But I do know this. I know that there is no space between the unseen unseen realm and this realm of, of sense, the visible realm, that the word of Jesus does not cover. There is no space between the throne room of God and your need that the word of Jesus does not cover. Say the word, Lord, and it will be. It says in verse 10, And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Jesus marvels at the centurion's faith. This is interesting. There, there are two things that make Jesus to marvel recorded in the narrative of the Gospels. One is unbelief. He, he marvels at the unbelief of his hometown who refuses to believe that he is anything more than a carpenter's son. Is not this Joseph's son, they say, even with all of the evidence in front of them, stacked in Christ's favor, proving the authority of his word, that by his word he works the wonders of God, they refuse to believe that he is anything more than the carpenter's son. That he is anything more than a mere man, just like any one of them. And Jesus marvels at their unbelief. But he also marvels at faith. And so I, I think we can see conclude something here pretty positively. Unbelief is so tragic. You look at Jesus' hometown, which, and they are so like the Exodus generation who, who walked through the Red Sea on dry land that didn't believe. For all the seen, there was no believing. Unbelief is a tragic thing. But true faith, that deep faith, it's on the level of heroic. It makes Jesus marvel. And, and it's interesting too, that it always seems to come from, now there's only actually a, a couple of reports of this, but it comes from Gentiles. You see, whenever the Jews would, would go to Jesus to ask for healing, they, they were saying, come, help us, we need you over here, like Jairus in the next chapter. He comes to Jesus and he says, my daughter is going to die without your help. You must come. And on the way there, his daughter dies. Of course, Jesus raises her up. I'm looking forward to getting to that event. But uh, they, they want him to come. They, he, he's got to be there. That's the idea. Jesus has to be there for him to do what Jesus does. Or think of um, Mary and Martha, whose, whose brother, all friends of Jesus, uh, their brother is dying. And so they send word to Jesus. The, the one whom you love is sick. Jesus delays a couple days and then he works his way down to, uh, to Bethany. And in the meantime, Jesus, uh, to Lazarus dies. And so Martha, first one to greet him, 
says to him, Lord, if, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But do you see what she says? If you had been here, not if you had, if you had said so, wherever you were, he would have lived. But Lord, if you had been here, and we're not to, you know, trample on, on their faith, which was truly in Christ, but there was a difference. But there were, there was this man who said, you don't have to be here. Just say the word. And my servant will be healed. There was also the case of a Gentile woman who said, who was begging for her daughter to be healed. And, and Jesus told her, go. She's well. And all they wanted, all they required was that Jesus heal, say the word from where he was, from afar. And there would be that miracle. The Gentiles, those who were far from Christ, had the astounding faith. Now you and I, everyone who is called to faith is called to believe like this. We're all called to believe like this. You remember what Jesus said to Thomas after Thomas saw the risen Christ and then confessed, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And that's the kind of faith that you and I are called to. Though you have not seen him, the word says, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 1 Peter chapter 1. So every time we pray, it is like this. Lord, we're not worthy. We're not worthy in ourselves to have any good from your hand. But say the word and all will be well. Say the word and I will be healed. If you will say the word, my need will be supplied. Say the word. This is the faith that we are called to. Now what I am talking about here is our longing is for God to speak his word in a sense over us. To speak the, the secret things of God. I'm talking about his sovereign decree that we can't see in the word. The Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 29, it says uh, the secret things belong to God. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So when we talk about God speaking over us, the word of healing, the word of supply, giving our daily bread and so on, we're talking about that secret word. That is simply what is not revealed to us. It's not in the word. We don't know exactly what God will do, but that's the word we long for. We long for healing and supply and deliverance. Those words to be spoken over us. We also want the Lord to speak to us, not only over us, but to us. And for that, we need to put ourselves in the position to hear him. And I'm not talking about hearing an audible voice, tapping into the wells of spiritual mysticism, sitting cross-legged in some funny posture and doing some kind of transcendental meditation where you empty your mind. To put ourselves in the position to hear him, we need to meditate on what is revealed on his written word day and night. He will speak to us. 
we will meditate upon it. We will not empty our minds. We will fill our minds with the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, the Bible commands you. Meditate on this word day and night, and then we will be like that tree planted by the rivers of water with the roots dug down deep whose leaf doesn't wither in the day of drought. We need to put ourselves in the position to hear his word so he may speak to us. How will you call on him whom you do not believe? And how will you believe if you do not hear? And how will you hear without preaching? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We must not despise the word of preaching. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself. The Bible says that it pleases God through the gospel preached, which the world regards as foolishness. It pleases God through the gospel preached to save those who believe. We need the preaching of the word of God because God declares his word to us through human ambassadors, human messengers. Why exactly he has chosen this medium of communication, we don't know. But we do know when there have been in the past other mediums of communication, prophets given dreams and visions, the Lord speaking through an audible voice, the shaking of a mountain, the delivery of the the Ten Commandments, and so on. It does not mean that the people who have heard it have necessarily believed. God calls us to faith, and he sanctifies us through the preaching of his word. How do our spirits come to life in in the first place? Apart from Jesus, our our hearts are spiritually dead, so void of life that the Bible compares them to, to skeletal remains that have been bleached white in the sun. No hope of life there. No life whatsoever. And yet God speaks. He speaks the word to us, the wonderful words of life, as we sing. The gospel word of Jesus, what he has done for us, how he lived for us, and how he died for our sins upon the cross of Calvary. How he rose from the dead, triumphant over the grave for all who will believe in him. He speaks that word to us through human messengers, and then he speaks over us by his spirit, and he says, child, arise. And what happens is that the people of God, the life of God breathed into them, rise up, an exceedingly great army. Ezekiel 37. Let's not despise the word of God, meditating upon it in our own devotion, quiet time, or the preaching of his word. The Lord warned, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. It is is such a shame that in so many places that have been built up as churches, in so many pulpits, even with the Bible opened on top of them, there is a famine of the Word of God. There is no true preaching of the truth of God's Word. And so many who fill churches today 
are self-satisfied in that. They're okay with that because they have it good. Their lives are going all right. They have health and they have wealth. You know, they have no, no physical complaints to speak of. They're living the American dream or whatever, but they are experiencing a greater famine than anything they fear. A famine of the word of God. Again, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. We need his word. So I want to come back to what I said to you in the beginning. Don't let your your hopes be persuaded and, and don't let your fears rise or be put to rest by the latest word. Whatever it is, whether it's coming out of Washington or Paris or Baghdad or Damascus, Syria, whether it's from a doctor's office or your own household, whatever. Don't let the latest word be the word that controls your feelings and your faith and your fears and your hopes, but let it be the timeless word of God given to us in this book, the Bible. Just beware. The networks are vying for your attention. You know, they're trying to beat each other to the punch to get you the story. That's what the 24-hour news cycle is all about. Clamoring for your attention. Be afraid of this. You know, hope in, in this person. The, the latest and the greatest. Here's the headlines. They're trying to control our thinking and our believing and our hoping and our fearing. But it's the word of Jesus we need. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So I don't know what the the latest word that you have heard is. I know the word about ISIS, but other words from your home or a doctor or what have you, I don't know what those latest words are. But here's this word. Let's meditate on it day and night. See the centurion again, he had heard the word of the doctor. He, He had heard that all hope was lost. But he had also heard reports about Jesus. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent for him. Sent for him twice. And he ended up saying, Lord, I am not worthy. But simply say the word and my servant will be healed. Let's pray the same. Lord, we are not worthy. But speak over us and all will be well. Speak to us. Give us faith and we will live. Let's pray. Father, I pray that those who have heard of your son Jesus and what he did and what he said in Luke 7 today would believe. Whatever else the world is saying, whatever the latest word is, I pray that it would be put aside I pray, Father, that it would not control how they feel and think and what they believe, their hopes and their fears. I pray, Father, that hope would rise and fears would be put to rest because they believe, we believe, in the Word of God. You have spoken, and what you have said stands. You are the faithful God. 
you will fulfill every promise that you have made. You're going to finish your work in us. You're going to bring us home to glory. You will work all things together for our good so that we be conformed to the image of your Son. You will never leave us or forsake us so we can rest content and we can believe. So help us. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.